I'm going to start out by talking about names. We are named before our parents even know us. Our names are carefully chosen due to our not-yet-seen personalities, our not-yet-seen abilities, our not-yet-seen reputation. Names are basically chosen based on other people. Maybe it's a family name. Maybe it represents our parents' personalities, who they are, the kind of people, their reputation. Or for some of us, our names represent our parents' hopes and dreams for us. Now, nicknames, those we do earn. Um, who here has ever received a nickname in their life? Anybody? Yeah. Okay, wow. Just about everybody. Um, at some point in time, we, you know, are lucky enough to earn a nickname. And those are from our personality sometimes and our abilities and our reputation. Or maybe we have a cool last name and they, they call us by that or something like that. In high school, I had a nickname uh, given to me by guys that were a lot older than me. Um, it came from my running abilities. On the tra- I was on the track team in middle school, and it came from that time where um, I was part of a three-person middle school team. Uh, that, was the, that was the entire team, and um, we still wanted to run relays, but relays, as, as Tom would know, require four people. So the most important legs of a relay are the first leg and the last leg. But there's all, that's also the most time that goes in between those legs. So I would run the first leg and really, you know, I'd be hurting and tired and use those two legs to rest and then I'd run the last leg. And we did pretty well. I'm, we might have won some races. I know we at least got second. Um, but we did, it was, it was, uh, it was pretty cool. Um, and so they gave me the, the nickname Mighty Joe Carter. Um, yeah, right? <laughs> And uh, when I got to college in my running life, I joined the, uh, the track team, and uh, they had a tradition at my college where they would name all the freshmen a number. So I was four. <laughs> that was my name my freshman year. And they did it on purpose. Um, we were uh, that, that known by that cold, impersonal digit. Um, everybody had a number as freshmen, and the expectation was you'd earn your nickname. They would give it to you when you did something worthy of that nickname. And um, a friend of mine, John Holleran, earned a nickname, I, maybe the first, or a, a very memorable one. Um, it was Petey. It sounds like, yeah, that's a great name, but it's actually the letter P and T, and it stood for puke table. That was what he went by, because uh, he couldn't hold his drinks down and made a mess all over the table. That was why he got it. That's how he earned his nickname. And that, how endearing and how great to be known by Petey the rest of his college career and probably still to this day, you know. And for a while, I even forgot, like, what his original name was. It's like, wait, what was, his name is John, right? Yeah, but Petey is how we knew him. For better or worse, I never earned a nickname, I have to tell you. I have to confess. Um, so I went by four all year. But I, I probably earned that too, but that's a story for another day. Um, names in the Bible carry a special significance. Uh, when somebody receives a name, uh, when so they, their name often means something um, in their language. And I want to I recall back earlier in the series in Luke when Peter was given, when Simon was given the name 
Peter. Uh, his name meant rock, and he earned that nickname, uh, and Jesus gave it to him. And I'm sure from that point on, all the disciples called him Peter, called him rock. And uh, his relatives, people, people outside of that inner group of disciples would wonder and ask him probably, like, why are we calling you rock now? Your name is Simon. And he would have to say, it's because I declared that Jesus was a, the Savior, because I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And that name became his identity the rest of his life. Rock is a great nickname that would pull you up, like Mighty Joe. That's a nice one. Puke Table or PD is a lovingly given nickname, but it would probably pull you down, and you might be ashamed of it later on in life. But did Peter, the rock, always behave like a rock? That's what we're going to be, be reading about today, to be encouraged about God's great mercy. So that's why the, uh, the title of my sermon which I kind of forget. God's mercy is greater, right? It's greater. Um, and the passage, the main passage that Linda read to us um, comes from Luke 22, 31 to 34. I'm going to read it again, um, and I want you to notice the name that's used in this passage for Peter. It starts out, Simon, Simon, Behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for your faith that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. I'm the rock. Jesus said, I tell you, rock, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me three times that you know me. You have to notice that Jesus does not call him rock at first. He's talking about Peter's greatest failure in his life. And it's significant when you, call some, when you start calling somebody by their nickname and then you use their other name, it's jarring and it gets your attention. It can be a little hurtful, like, wait, why, are you calling me by, why aren't you calling me by my nickname? Especially a good one. He starts out, Simon. Simon. Why? It reminds Peter of his former self. It reminds Peter of his vulnerability, of the sin nature that's still a part of him, of his potential for failure. And you might remember he did the same thing with Martha when she had Jesus in her home and she was running around trying to take care of all these things but not sitting at the feet of Jesus. Jesus says, Martha, Martha, in a mournful tone. It's a sad thing. And then Jesus says in verse 31, he says, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. Let's talk about that for a bit. Satan and God had a conversation. And Satan had an agenda. Don't miss it. Their conversation, we don't get all the details, but I imagine it kind of went like this. 
Simon's a rock now because he's got you. You're by his side. He's also got a faithful group of friends. When Simon's hungry, you multiply fish. When Lazarus dies, you bring him back to life. When a miracle is needed, you always provide. Let me take you away from him. Let me take his friends away. And don't perform miracles to save the day this time. And you'll see much, how much of a rock he really is. I think back to Job. You have to think back to Job. Because we actually got those details when we were reading in Job. Job 1, 9 to 11. We get a little extra here. We get more of a conversation. Satan's consistent. He doesn't change from the beginning to the end. Job 1, 9 to 11. Does Job feel fear God for no reason? Job, this superstar of the Old Testament, somebody who's known for um, his faith in God. Satan challenges that faith. Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and all his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. Satan has an agenda when he, con- when he has this conversation with Job and when he had this conversation with Peter. Now, he says he wants to sift Peter like wheat. He wants to see if there are any good kernels of Peter's faith. Does he believe that Peter has faith? Does he believe that Peter's going to be okay? No. Satan wants to destroy Peter. He wants to take him apart bit by bit, and he expects nothing to be left. Don't miss that. He's not trying to do the good work of sifting, you know, that we go through as Christians, where we, have, we all have things we're working on, and sometimes we go through the fire, and God does the work of bringing it up to the surface, our ugly stuff, and getting rid of it, and, and working on us, and making us more like Him. This is not what Satan is interested in. We don't talk about this character that often. I don't, at least I don't think about him. There are three verses I want to read about him today, but I want to encourage you afterwards, okay? For with each one, I want to leave you off with some encouragement. First Peter 5, 8. Oh wait, this was written by Peter. This was written by Peter a little over 30 years after he denied Christ, after he went through the fire. So let's listen to what he has to say about his adversary, who he was really thrust into the adversary's hand. Peter says, be sober-minded, Christian. Be watchful, Christian. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Who better to know than Peter? Jesus had great plans for his life. He he said, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. On this truth that you've declared about me, I'm going to build my church. And Satan wanted to take him down. 
Second thing I wanted to say about this character, Satan does not want to build up Peter's faith, clearly, because he is known as the accuser of the brethren. He is our accuser all day long. I'm going to read from Revelation 12.10. This is John writing. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ have come for the accuser, the devil, the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. That's his character. That's who he is, the accuser, actively coming before the Father and bringing up the worst things that we've done to the Father to try to dismantle our faith, to try to cover over the grace that's available to each one of us. But from this verse, we read, the devil has been conquered. He has been conquered and will be thrown down forever, one day at the right time. Our accuser will be silenced by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Amen. The mercy of God is greater than any scheme the devil has against us. Last thing I want to point about, out about this character, Satan. Satan is seeking to steal, kill, and destroy. John 10.10. 10. Love this verse in the Bible. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. The thief, the devil, Satan, the enemy. I, Jesus speaking, came that they may have life and have it abundantly. This steal, kill, and destroy thing, I'm reminded in, uh, of our modern-day newspapers. You probably heard of this strategy they use, uh, some of them, the catch-and-kill strategy. Anybody heard of that one in the news lately? Come on, people, read the news. Come on, Brian, have you heard of it? The catch-and-kill? Okay, I won't, I won't mention any specifics because I don't want to get into there. But what they do is to protect the interests of their clients, they will catch a witness in a scandal, pay the witnesses off, make them sign a contract and not say what they experienced or saw, essentially kill their testimony dead in his tracks. They pay off the witness and say, all right, don't, don't share it. It's going to hurt my client's reputation. I'll, I'll give you $100,000. You need to sign this contract not to say your testimony to the world. And it's been happening in our news. They seek to kill the testimony, the truth, dead in its tracks. They seek to erase what happened and prevent any of the testimonies from being shared. It's very effective. In the Bible, the devil is shown to be acting specifically with the catch and kill strategy. He tries to steal Adam and Eve's faith. Think back to Genesis. In God's word, 
He seeks to destroy their relationship, take it away. And as I've mentioned earlier, he tries to steal Job's relationship with God and destroy his faith. He tries to, when Jesus is about to start his ministry, he's fasting in the desert. He tries to steal, kill, and destroy Jesus' faith in the temptation during Jesus' fasting ministry um, before he starts everything. And he's trying to destroy Peter's faith, who Jesus calls rock and seeks to build his church on. In our testimonies, in our faith, are no exception to the enemy's agenda. He will always seek to catch and kill our testimonies. But thankfully, we're not left alone in this unseen battle. We have God's Spirit living inside of us, and greater is He that is in us than He that's in the world. We are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. More on that later. Now to move forward, so that's this character. Uh, I want to get back to verse 31 and 32. Move forward. What else is revealed in these verses in this conversation? Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. And I have prayed for your faith. I have prayed that your faith may not fail. Did Jesus say, I'm going to hedge you in and protect you from trials? Did Jesus say, no, you won't suffer one bit. I know his plans and I am not going to allow it to happen. I'm not going to allow him to take anything from you. I'm going to hedge you in and keep you exactly where you're at, Peter. You think you're the best. You think you're going to die for me. You think you got what it takes. I'm going to keep that version of yourself in your brain that you have, that you think you've arrived, and I'm going to protect it. Okay? I won't let the truth come out. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus is interested in more. He's interested in revealing what's really inside Peter's heart. What's, what he's really got, what he's really made of. Jesus is about to allow trials to ravage Peter's life violently. It's not pretty. I'm not going to read the passage today. I'm going to let Brian hit on it because it, the, passage can, the passage can stand alone, that denial scene, and you can really unpack. And as we, as we get into the series and closer to Easter and the good news, uh, Jesus won, by the way. Uh, he's in control of the battle, and he knows the greater plans. So we'll get into that later. Um, we're going to look at Peter's words again. 30 years later, after the fact, and there is so much in here to look at. I can't wait. Okay. First Peter 1, verses 3 to 8. Somebody who went through the fire. Somebody who got wrecked and destroyed. His whole identity as a rock was called into question completely. He did not live up to his name. Let's read what he says on the other end of mercy that he had received. We're going to talk about that mercy in a bit. It's coming up. But let's see what he says on the other end. Verse 3. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that Satan can take away and win, right? That Satan can call into question, right? An inheritance in heaven that Satan can shake up and take away from us, right? He can cloud it out and he can make sure that uh, it doesn't happen, right? That's not what he says. An inheritance in heaven that's imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Who, who's in control, by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the testing, genuineness, of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The word of the Lord. This is Peter, right? He went through it. He did. Peter writes after living out his failure, and he experienced the great mercies of God. He also experienced that having put his faith in Jesus and accepting Christ's blood for the redemption of his soul, that Jesus declared him forgiven. Thankfully for Peter and for us all, Satan can never effectively catch and kill Christ's declaration of forgiveness over all of us. Satan will never be able to catch and kill Christ's testimony. He will never be able to ransom us and pay Christ enough money, whatever it is, power, whatever he seeks to offer Christ, right? When Christ was tempted by Satan in the desert, he tried everything to try to get our salvation from us. But Christ is unwilling. He is guarding our salvation. Our inheritance in heaven is imperishable, undefiled and unfading. In fact, this salvation now is closer for each one of us today than it was when we first put our faith in Jesus. Our day of salvation, when we see Jesus, grows clearer and brighter every day. This wonderful gift of salvation is being kept for us, our inheritance in heaven, not by the good things that we do. Or the bad stuff. It's being kept according to the great mercy of God for us. We also see that Peter believed God's power guards our faith. And finally, we see Peter identifying the purpose of some trials in our lives, not all of them, to test our faith through fire. He experienced fire when he denied Christ three times. And when you read it, you'll see not much was left of Peter. He was Simon again for a time. In fact, nothing was left of Peter. He was broken. But God's mercy was at work. Even in Peter's darkest moments. 
Let's look deeper into the conversation in verse 21. Again, I know I'm stuck on these, on these verses. There's just so much to unpack. Looking back at 31 and 32, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you, for you that your faith may not fail. Jesus believed that prayer was enough to sustain Peter's faith in this great battle for his soul. Do we believe that today? Do we live like that? That prayer has the power to sustain. Even in the midst of our failure, our struggle, shame, doubt, trials, dreams that crash down in front of us, our pain, our waiting and suffering, Jesus is there praying for us daily, moment by moment, praying for us individually. And not always that the trials are going to come to an end. That's not always his prayer. But it is always that our faith will not fail. When all is stripped away from us that our faith may remain. Let's look to 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. John uh, was so old that he, he writes that everybody's his children. I have not... I've not reached that age where I call everyone little children, but I, maybe I will someday. But he, he was pretty old when he wrote this uh, text. So he calls everybody because he's like, yeah, I'm the old guy. I'm going to call you all little kids. My little children. I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. But if anybody does sin, if anybody fails, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the world. Amen? We have an advocate for our faith that will not be silenced by our failures. We can't do enough to silence our advocate. We can't do enough wrong. We can't be hateful enough to silence Jesus Christ. His blood covers our sin. And church, no one can snatch us out of his hand. When we have put our faith in Christ, John 10, 27 to 30. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Amen. We've got to look at this next one. This is like the most encouraging part. I think, for me, when I'm reading this text. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Let's think about that part of what Jesus said. What does it mean? It's Christ's mercy and grace on display at its finest. Peter had not yet had his greatest failure. He hadn't done it yet. He hadn't betrayed the one who loves his soul the most. 
He hadn't betrayed the creator of, his, of the universe to his face. He hadn't contributed to the nails that went into Christ's wrist yet. And Jesus had already made plans that would not be thwarted to offer him mercy. He already had a redemption story written out ahead of time. He didn't say this after the fact. Okay, I'm going to use you. You're going to turn back. I'm going to use you. I'm going to redeem you. He said it before the failure even happened. I have to tell you, church, he said the same thing to you. And he says it every day. Who doesn't have a story of betraying Christ? Each one of us in our own ways, which I'll unpack a little bit, have that story. But Christ says to each one of us, when you've turned, when you've turned, strengthen your brothers and sisters in Christ with the mercy you have received. And I just, I just, I'm amazed by that. That, uh, that Christ would know our sins, past, present, and future, and already have a plan for redemption for us. That we didn't earn, and we're never going to earn. However, God's mercy and forgiveness does not hide the fact that Peter didn't turn from Christ. It means that Peter was not going to behave like a rock. He's going to behave like Simon the fisherman, who never got caught up in all this Jesus stuff, who never witnessed any of the miracles, who was never called to make fishers of men, who's going to act like Simon, who never walked on water who never saw a violent storm calmed by someone's command, Simon, who never experienced selfless love that Jesus offered. It's going to happen. It did happen. And how quickly we all forget in the time of testing all that Jesus has done for us. The truth is, we're going to have those moments. Maybe not on that grand scale. Maybe, all, maybe things aren't going to blow up in our faces. But we deny Christ by not speaking up when we should with unbelieving friends and co-workers. We at times get caught up in the lust of our eyes and the desire to have things that God has said no to. We may decide that God's kingdom is not worth seeking first and seek our own fleshly desires. We may not seek to be a servant of all, but seek our own comforts over others. We may get caught up in our own pride and egos and think that we are our own creators of morality, that we know better than God. I know I do that. That we are responsible for all the good things in our lives. But God, rich in mercy, will allow us to enter the refining fire. He will allow our world to blow up around us like it did to Peter when he denied Christ, he will allow us to be tempted and led away by our own evil desires. He's not going to tempt us, but he will allow us to be led away by our own evil desires. But his mercy is going to triumph in those moments. 
In that moment, he will tell us what he told Peter. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. When we repent and allow God's mercy and love to, to scrape away the dross in our gold, God will redeem our failures and use them to strengthen those around us. How do I fit in personally with this sermon? I've had to preach this to myself all week. It's been a battle. What message? The message is that Jesus has already covered us who believe with his mercy and grace before we even sin. The message is that there is an enemy seeking to catch and kill our testimonies, but Jesus' sustaining grace and mercy is greater. The message is that our faith will undergo testing and fire, but God will use these moments to refine our faith like gold. Let me talk personally. Over the last year and a half, I've felt the fire. I've felt my, t- my faith being tested. I've lost close, dear friends in the season. I felt completely alone. I've had the prayers of my heart remain unanswered. I've seen our church family shrink and shrink. And my heart's been broken over and over because of this. My faith in God's abilities has been attacked continually. My confidence in my abilities to even understand the Bible has been ravaged. My passion for teaching the Word of God has seen droughts. My confidence to be a witness to God's mercy in this fallen world has been stifled. My church identity in this past season has been wrecked. My desire to even be a part of reaching this valley for Christ has waned on several occasions. I felt like a failure throughout this season of my life. My faith has been stripped down. And I haven't at all felt like mighty Joe Carter. Let me tell you this. God's mercy is greater His love is stronger than mine. His faithfulness can't even compare to my own. His kindness exceeds mine. His plans for my life are far greater than I can ask for or imagine. And I know that Peter went on to reach countless others for Christ based on the mercy of God. Let me tell you, this church, although I think it's been stripped down and beaten up lately, our music has been stripped down, our building might be stripped down, Our friends, some of them are distant, and it hurts, and I feel it. By God's grace and by his mercy, we will behave like the bride of Christ and reach this valley. Nothing is too big for God to handle, and he is seeking, let me tell you, even in this, even in this season, I have seen a new work started.
by Christ, by his mercy. Not because we're good enough, not because we're cool enough, not because we have the lingo and we have it all together. I have seen a new work starting. Maybe some of you have caught the the smell and and the beautiful aroma of it. I see it. I can feel a tidal wave of God's power ready to come out. I can see it. I have hope. And I just want to, uh, <clears throat> I want to ask you. Are you ready for it? Are you ready to see what he can do through us? Are you willing to see the refining power of his great mercy? You are each treasured, and I love and I'm thankful for each of you. But we are in a place where the beauty is you can't hide. The beauty is God's not like, I'll use somebody else. He's going to use you, right? We're at a place where God's like, you know what? I have a great plan. It's going to look bad. It's going to hurt. It's going to burn. But I have a great plan. I'm refining, and he's got plans for us on the individual level, and he's not giving up on this valley. And I want to say those, those that have been part of our body that have gone out, they are living for Christ. They are learning the truths of God, and they're carrying the torch. But we're here, and we're carrying the torch here. And uh, that's exciting. It's exciting. And um, I wanted to end with a, uh, with a, with a song. I'm not going to sing. Don't worry. <laughs> that would be the failure that was uh, talked about of Peter. That would be like, okay, here we go. But I am going to read it to you. And then the last, because the chorus repeats itself some, I'm going to ask you to read it with me. When my hope and strength is gone, oh, th- by the way, this is by the Ren Collective called whatever's on the screen (laughs) when my hope and strength is gone you're the one who calls me on you're the life you are the fight that's in my soul oh your resurrection power burns like fire in my heart when the waters rise I lift my eyes up to your throne we are more than conquerors through Christ You have overcome this world, Jesus, this life. We will not bow to sin or shame. We are defiant in your name. You are the fire that cannot be tamed. You're the power in our veins, our Lord, our God, our conqueror. I will sing into the night. Christ is risen and on high. Greater is he living in me than in the world. No surrender no retreat. We are free and we're redeemed. We will declare over despair that you are the hope. Nothing is impossible. It may look like it, to me at least, but nothing is impossible. Every chain is breakable. With you we are victorious. You're stronger than our hearts. You're greater than the dark. With you, we are victorious. Nothing is impossible. Every chain is breakable. 
with you we are victorious, Jesus. You're stronger than our hearts. Thank the Lord. You're greater than the dark. With you we are victorious. Nothing is impossible. Every chain is breakable. There's a few lines you're going to read with me, okay? Um, If you feel it. I think, is it ready? Yeah, this is what we're reading together. And um, let's read it to him. And how do we start? Do we do a one, two, three? Okay, we're going to start. With you we are victorious. You are stronger than our hearts. You are greater than the dark. With you we are, are they different? A little bit. With you we are victorious. We are more than conquerors. There we go. Through Christ. You have overcome this world, this life. We will not bow to sin or to shame. We are defiant in your name. You are the fire that cannot be tamed. You are the power in our veins. Our Lord, our God, our Lord, our God, our conqueror. Amen. So we're going to sing that song, actually. Uh, we're going to sing it. We got two songs, and um, I just want to end with uh, with a prayer. And um, that's what we have. That's our greatest weapon against the enemy who seeks to take us down is prayer. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, we love you and what you're doing. God, when this church started. It was started with a vision. People left their homes to reach this valley, to give people an opportunity to hear the good news that God loves them. He wants to restore a relationship with them. He is merciful. And that Jesus, you gave your life for the world. God, you're in control of that narrative. You're in control of our story. Lord, we know that um, the enemy has come against our family. The devil seeks to catch and kill our testimony and change it and make it not about you, God, you are greater. Your mercy is so much greater than any catch-and-kill strategy. And Lord, rise up. Rise up from this church family. A message for the community. New hope, new vision. Lord, I'm excited to see what happens when even our building might change. I cannot wait to see your great plans. I can't wait to see you shake us up, to bring new. You say, behold, I'm making all things new. That includes us and our work. And Lord, thank you so much for your mercy. We don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. Thank you for second chances and hundredth chances. Um, Help us to sing to that right now and worship you, and enjoy you, and support each other during this time. Help us to be warriors together, praying for one another, encouraging, 
lifting up and helping each other. Each one of us is important to the mission to reach this valley. And Jesus, your Holy Spirit is the only thing that's going to do that. Move your spirit in our hearts. Heal us of our brokenness wherever we're at today. We confess, Lord, we turn. We turn from our ways. And God, use this redemption story for the benefit of others. Pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.